Okay, so I just want to catch us up a little bit. Um, if you haven't been to Hype in a while, uh, or if you kind of forgot what we were learning about in the fall semester, uh, a recap quick of 1 Corinthians, because we're doing 1 Corinthians all year long, and we will end it on the last Sunday night of Hype. So in the first couple chapters of 1 Corinthians, this is a quick recap. Uh, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth because there's a lot of things going on in the church of Corinth that we've studied over the last several weeks. Uh, a couple of things that are going on is that the Corinthians are a very divided church. They're divided over church leaders. They're divided over questions about sexuality. They're divided over questions about church discipline. And we covered all of those things in the fall semester from August till December. We talked about all those different things. And tonight, we're going to be in chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians, and we see another question that the Corinthian church is divided over, and that is the question of, is eating food sacrificed to idols sinful? Is eating food sacrificed to idols sinful? So if you have your scripture notebooks with you, please open up to chapter 8 as we look at this chapter tonight. Tonight's title lesson is Helping Other Believers Glorify God, and we're going to be covering the whole chapter of chapter 8 tonight. Now, I know the question that the Corinthian church poses is a little bit odd for us. If you were here on Sunday morning, you might have felt that as well as uh, Joel was preaching this morning over the same passage. The question is, is eating food sacrificed to idols sinful? It seems a little bit odd, but I just want to kind of give you some context to help you understand why this was such a crucial question for the Corinthian church. See, Corinth, the town that the church was in, was a very pagan town. It had a lot of uh, idol worship, people that worshipped physical, man-made idols. And part of this worship to these physical idols was animal sacrifices. And after the meat was sacrificed, cooked, people could uh, buy some of it in the marketplace. And this is where people would go to, to get their food. And especially during this context, when the letter was written, there's maybe possible famine going on, so people needed food, and so this was a pressing question that the church had. And so people were divided over if it was sinful to eat meat that was sacrificed to idols. This is something that uh, the Christian church at large had decided that people should not engage with, but because of this pressing issue, the Corinthians are asking Paul again this question, is it sinful? And even though this seems odd to us here in Eureka, Illinois, this question is similar to a lot of questions that I hear students ask all the time. And the question always starts off, is it sinful to do fill in the blank? This isn't actually like fill in the blank, but you can write your own question in there. If you, if you have a question, hey, is it sinful to do this? The premise of the question is the same as the premise that these Corinthians have. You know, what what is sinful? What is not sinful in, in a hard situation, practically speaking, and something that they were encountering in their everyday lives that people were divided over? Raise your hand if you've ever had a question and asked, is this sinful? Is it sinful to do blank, fill in the blank? Anybody ask that question? I know I have. You know, is it sinful to, uh, I don't know, eat a dozen cookies all in one setting? You know, I've, I've, I've asked that question. Uh, but we've all asked certain questions of, hey, is this particular activity or thought sinful? So, tonight, that is um, 
going to be the question that we're going to be looking over, a question that we've kind of asked ourselves in our lives at some point in time. So let's read together and see how Paul responds to their question. So if you want to if you've not already, please open up your scripture notebooks, have them physically opened to 1 Corinthians 8. 1 Corinthians 8, starting in verse 1. Now, about food sacrifice to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone thinks he knows anything, he does not yet know it as he ought to know it. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. I just want to pause there and remind you, because I totally forgot to say this at the beginning. If you find a line, a verse, or phrase that sticks out to you or that you have a question about, this is where you use your pen and underline it, circle it, write a note off to the side um, if you have a question. Let's continue reading. Verse 4. About eating food sacrificed to idols. Then we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, or as there are many gods and many lords, yet there for us there is one God, the Father. All things are from him, and we exist for him. There is one Lord, Jesus Christ, and all things are through him, and we exist through him. Okay, let's pause here for a moment, the first six verses, and try to understand what Paul is trying to say uh, on addressing this topic. Now, in the, in the first six verses, uh, we see the first thing to consider when asking the question, is it sinful to do blank, is to ask the question, you know, what does God have to say about it? This is your first blank to fill in. What does God have to say about it? Paul quotes from what the Corinthians are already saying on this matter, what they already know to be true, what God is already saying. They, they have a, we'll call it Corinthian theology about food and idols. And here's your next blank. Some of the things that they note is that they, they say, hey, we all have knowledge. We all have biblical knowledge that says an idol is nothing in the world. And we all know that there's only one God. And they're, and they're coming at it from this vantage point that we all have this basic knowledge that an idol is really nothing. That's your no next blank. And that there is only one God. There is no God but one. That's the quotes. If you read 1 Corinthians 8, those first six, first six verses, we see those quotations. It means Paul is quoting something that the Corinthians are saying. And so Paul tells the Corinthians that even though they might have a correct theology or what that is, just a study of God or an understanding of uh, the Bible, he says you might think about this correctly but he says, I just want to warn you, though, because knowledge without love can often lead to sinful actions. And Paul wants the Corinthians to realize that knowledge is not just for oneself. It's not just from one person, but rather we should use our knowledge to serve others, and we should serve them out of love. Now, we have knowledge. When we have knowledge, and we use it only for our own benefit, and I'll get to kind of an example of what this looks like in a little bit, but when we use it for only our own benefit, it often leads to pride. We're only worried about ourselves instead of what someone else thinks. We like to call this rights. How many of you have heard that you are given certain rights, that you have a right to do this? How many of you said, that's my right to do that? A lot of us have rights or knowledge of maybe rights that we have, but if we're only focused on ourselves, 
instead of serving others, we can have pride in our hearts because we're only focused on ourselves. And that's when Paul says we puff up, meaning, basically, have you ever heard of someone saying, you got a big head? Like, you got a big ego? Head's getting kind of swollen? You know, you're full of hot air, your, your head's growing? It, basically, what Paul is saying is, like, pride leaves, leads to the puffing up or someone thinking better of themselves than they ought to and su- thinking of themselves superior towards others. But when we take what we know and choose to serve others out of love, we are not focusing just on ourselves in that moment, but we're putting the focus on someone else. And that's when we can build them up. Now, so what happens when we encounter, that's a lot of thought, theoretical theology. The question is, is what happens when we encounter another person who doesn't have the same level of knowledge we do. What does it look like to actually love them practically? So let's keep going in 1 Corinthians 8 because uh, I think Paul is going to address this answer. What happens when I know something that someone else doesn't know? How do I love and serve them? Verse 7 in your scripture notebooks. Take your pen again. Like I said, underline anything that doesn't make sense or that sticks out to you. Verse 7. However, not everyone has this knowledge that the Corinthians had. Some have been so used to idolatry up until now that when they eat food sacrificed to an idol, their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not bring us close to God, and we are not worse off if we don't eat, and we are not better if we do eat. But be careful that this right of yours in no way becomes a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you, the one who has knowledge, dining in an idol's temple, won't his weak conscience be encouraged to eat foods offered to idols? So the weak person, the brother or sister for whom Christ died, is ruined by your knowledge. Now, when you sin like this against brothers and sisters and wound their weak conscience, you are sinning against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother or sister to fall, I will never eat meat again so that I won't cause my brother or sister to fall." Now, in these final seven verses of chapter 8, we see that the other thing to consider when asking the question, is it sinful to do blank, is to ask, will this help other believers glorify God? Will this help other believers glorify God? This is your next fill in the blank. You're going to want to fill these blanks in. Some of you I don't see writing them down. Yes, Joe? The very first one. It was, it was blank. Yeah, it was just used as an example. Yeah, you could fill in whatever you want. Yep. So this one, will this help other believers glorify God? Now, if you haven't already in underlining verses, I want you to underline verse 9. So go back to verse 9 in your scripture notebook. I want you to underline verse 9. In this verse, we see that sometimes what we have as a right or what we know to be true should lead us to be willing to give that up in order to help other believers glorify God. But because Paul states that not every believer has the same amount of knowledge. Paul says that some people come from different backgrounds, and they don't understand the deeper things of theology that maybe someone has that grew up in church that's been serving the Lord for a number of years. And we need to be aware of that. So that's the next blank. Some people don't have the same understanding of deeper things of theology that you have. 
Some of you in here have only been following Christ for a short amount of time. Some of you have been following Christ for a number of years. Some of us in the room who are leaders have been following Christ even longer than that, and we all are in different paths of understanding of the gospel. We are all continuing to understand deeper things of theology, the study of God. And we need to be aware that different people are at different spots in understanding biblical theology. And because of that, Christians need to be willing to give up things in order to help others glorify God in their conscience. Because of this, we need to recognize that there are some things we might need to give up in order to help others glorify God in their conscience. See, Paul is talking specifically about the issue of food sacrifice to idols. Remember when we talked about earlier tonight that Corinth was a pagan culture, it was a pagan town, and people were worshiping physical idols as gods? So basically what Paul is saying is when someone who was a pagan became a Christian, they don't have all the theological understanding, biblical understanding, right away that someone has had that's been a Christian for about five years or so. And so when they see a more mature Christian being able to know that an idol is really nothing, that idol is just an object, like there's really only one God, eating meat that's been sacrificed to idols, that new Christian who might still be believing that an idol is something sees that it's okay to eat meat sacrificed to idols and eats it and in his mind partakes in idol worship. I know that might seem a little confusing because we don't have... Uh, that often or at all here in central Illinois of meat sacrificed to idols. But let me give you another example that might fit more of our context at Hype in central Illinois. I want to give the context or an example of Halloween. I think everyone in here is familiar with Halloween. Yes? Yes? Everyone knows what Halloween is? Yes? When I was in high school, there was a classmate of mine that identified as a witch. Kid you not. You might know some people in your high school currently that might call themselves a witch. But I, I, I had a classmate who identified as a witch. And for this person, Halloween was seen as a day to engage in witchcraft. And celebrating Halloween, they would dress up, and people dress up in order to scare off ghosts. But what if that person became a believer and was invited to a Halloween party still believing that ghosts were real and that they had to scare them off? That new Christian dressed up because they thought that it was up to themselves to keep themselves safe. But in reality, ghosts aren't real. We would say that that's demonic activity, biblically. And for the believer, we are safe and secure in Christ. Christ will protect us. Demons have no power over Christ. But for this new Christian, they think it's up to them. Instead of trusting in Christ, they trust in themselves, resulting in sin, the sin of not fully trusting God and not believing that He is good enough. And thinking that you have to do something more than what Christ has already done, we call that the sin of unbelief that you don't trust in Christ holistically and that you don't think He's good enough, that you have to add something to that. And so we, we would say that's sin. That's serious. 
And so now, if you haven't already, I want you to also underline verse 12. Underline verse 12. Verse 12. I just want to reread it quick. Verse 12 says, Now when you are now when you sin like this against brothers and sisters and wound their weak conscience, you are sinning against Christ. We see that Paul wants the Corinthian church to take this seriously. And I want you and myself to also take this seriously. That if we cause someone to sin, we are also sinning against Christ. Now, if this is the case, and I believe this is, you might be thinking, Kent, if we take the example of Halloween seriously, then should we stop having a hype Halloween costume challenge? Because if you haven't been at hype in a while, don't know, we do an annual costume challenge, right? And if you're thinking this, this is a valid and great question. Because this is uh, a question that I've wrestled with every single year that Halloween comes up. I've wrestled with this question. And here's a couple things that we do at Hype that I believe that we help glorify God in a situation like that. So an example, like Halloween costumes, what do we do? We make it a themed and so people don't feel like they have to dress up scary to ward off ghosts. Like this past year, it was dress up as your parents, unless you think your parents are really, really scary when they were your age. Some of them, some of the pictures, I saw them. They might have looked a little scary to you. But that's not the point. Like the point was, it's themed. We want it to be um, fun. We're not trying to ward off anything. And we have a time of teaching that teach biblical truth um, presents the gospel that with hope at the point of hope pointing everyone back to Christ. And on a night that even we, we might have a costume challenge, we tell people that, hey, it's not about what you dress up as. We're trying to point you back to Christ and find your identity grounded and rooted in Him. And, I, and this, I believe, allows us to have the knowledge that we are secure in Christ and use it without causing someone else to sin. Because in the end, Paul is saying that uh, we need to be willing to uh, give things up in order to not cause another believer to sin. And if someone came in and said, hey, Kent, this event is causing me to sin, you better believe I would consider hard to just not have a costume challenge. If it is truly making someone sinning to sin, we would get rid of it because we don't want that for any student, for any leader. We want to glorify God as a student ministry and as Christians. But we just don't stay there in that spot of, hey, this is causing me to sin, just give it up. If we are aware that another believer doesn't have a deeper understanding of biblical truth, then I want us to see it as an opportunity to teach them. Sacrifice, yes, so that we don't cause someone else to sin. But then in that sacrifice, take that time as an opportunity to teach someone the deeper understandings of biblical truth. But this big picture that Paul is trying to present, that I'll finish up with quickly, is that we need to be aware of other believers and help them glorify God as much as we can. So, how does this become practical for you as students in today's context? I have two application points for you as students in today's context with this biblical principle. One, be aware of other Christians around you. As a student, when I was in high school, I don't think I did this good enough. 
If you had told me, hey, can you list all the people who believed in Jesus just in my class alone, not in the whole school, but just in my class, I might have only been able to list like three, four, five. And there were a lot more than five out of 130. I, I didn't make other believers my main community at school. I wasn't aware of all the Christians around me. And so the first point of application is, are you aware of believers in your own class? And then classes above you or below you in your school, are you aware of other Christians around you? If you're not in public school, are you aware of other believers in your own household that might not have the same knowledge as you? Are you aware of other believers on sports teams, clubs, organizations? And then uh, do you know who they are? And where are they at with their understanding of theology? Not just knowing that they're believers, but do you know where they're at in their relationship with Jesus? If you can't name a single Christian in your context where you are at, I encourage you to go find someone because that means you are not surrounded by Christian community in your context. And that is a very lonely place to be. That's a very isolating place to be. And more often than not, when you're surrounded by a bunch of non-Christians for the majority of your context and you don't have Christian community, those non-Christians pull you away from Christ and point you to something else. So step one, be aware of other Christians around you. Step two, be willing to sacrifice. This is the last blank. Be willing to sacrifice some things in order to help other believers glorify God. You know, are you willing to humble yourselves to use your knowledge of biblical truths to serve other believers? You know, instead of saying, I have a right, so therefore you must do this, saying, no, I know I have a right, and I'm willing to sacrifice that right in order to serve you because I want to show you love as a fellow believer, brother and sister in Christ. Because this whole book of Corinthians, and we'll see it even more later, is Paul's big thing is that there is a lot of division. And when we hold our rights above serving others in love, we're going to be divided. Christ is not divided. Christ wants us to be unified because we all share something in common. That is our need for a Savior. So maybe you're here tonight, and you've never heard the gospel. You don't know what it means to submit to Christ as Lord and Savior. It means to acknowledge that you are a sinner in need of saving, that you have sinned, that you cannot save yourself, that you, by your own actions, are eternally separated from God. And the good news is that God came down. We learned about this in Christmas. God came down in the form of Christ to die on the cross, to sacrifice, to pay the punishment for our sins so that we could have a right relationship with God, be forgiven. That is something that we all need, and that's something that we can all share and be unified with. Because ultimately, our lives are meant to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever, to be in a relationship with Him. And we do this by loving God and loving others. And being willing to sacrifice for the sake of another believer is yet another way that we can live that out. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for all the students and leaders who are here tonight. God, I just pray that we would be, one, aware of other believers around us, that we would be in community with believers. 
And to you, God, I pray that we'd be willing to sacrifice some of our rights if there are other believers around us that may not have the same knowledge that we have. God, I just pray that we would pursue you, pursue others, love you and love others well tonight as we continue hype, as we continue in small groups, and continue to just have fun and try to glorify you. We love you, we serve you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.